before we begin with the prelude, I did want to just make a couple notes about the service since it's a service we really only do during Lent. So just so that we're all on the same page as we go through it. Uh, so we do start with the prelude and then right following the prelude, we will get our first song 413, Holy, Holy, Holy. Uh, and then the service, the liturgy starts on page 309. Right after that first part in 309, it jumps to 310. Uh, so be aware of that jump. Uh, I won't be chanting, so the parts that are notated for chanting, I will speak, and we'll speak them together. Uh, also in the service, the gospel canticle you'll see is number 251. So we use that text and not the text that's printed in the evening prayer service. So just you'll want to flip over to him 251 when we get there. Uh, also a reminder, we will sing the Lord's Prayer uh, for this service as well. Uh, also throughout the Lenten services, I'll just say this tonight, uh, but my philosophy in putting together music for them is I always try to pick a hymn that we all know and can all sing well. Uh, but then I try to pick one that's more traditionally Lutheran that you might not know as well. Um, so all of you, of course, know Holy, Holy, Holy. Uh, but 750, Lord Thee I Love With All My Heart. You may know it's been in every Lutheran hymnal. Uh, but it was written by an early Lutheran, Martin Scholling, uh, who studied in Wittenberg right after Martin Luther's death. Uh, and this text and this hymn's most famous because Bach included it in his St. John's Passion. Uh, and Bach wrote a setting for it. It's not the one we use, uh, but it's kind of well known in Lutheran history and Lutheran tradition, and it fits with our with our topic tonight. All right. So with that, uh, we will begin with some meditation and some times to prepare ourselves for prayer as we listen to the prelude.
Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light of the darkness can overcome. Stay with us, Lord, for it is evening. And the day is almost over. Let your light scatter the darkness. And illuminate your church. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Turn us again, O God of our salvation. May your justice shine like the sun. And may the poor be lifted up. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. We give you thanks, O God, for in the beginning you called light into being, and you set lights in the sky to govern night and day. In a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night, you led your people into freedom. Enlighten our darkness by the light of your Christ. May your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. For you are merciful, and you love your whole creation. And with all your creatures, we give you glory. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Together we will read responsively by whole verse, Psalm 81. Sing with joy to God our strength, and raise a loud shout to the God of Jacob. Blow the ram's horn at the new moon and at the full moon, the day of our feast. This is a statue for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. 
God laid it as a solemn charge upon Joseph, going out over the land of Egypt, where I heard a voice I did not know. You called on me in trouble, and I delivered you. I answered you from the secret place of thunder and tested you at the waters of Meribah. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not worship a foreign God. Yet my people did not hear my voice, and Israel would not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their hearts to follow their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe in fear, and their punishment would last forever.
tonight for our scripture reading. I'd like to read from 1 Kings chapter 18. I'll read verses 20 through 40. And it's a familiar story of Elijah triumphing, triumphing over the priest of Baal. Uh, and the connection here with the second commandment that we'll get into is specifically going to be Elijah is calling on the name of the true God. And when he calls on the name of the true God, the true God answers him. So Ahab sent to all the Israelites and assembled the prophets at Mount Carmel. Elijah then came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets number 450. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire is indeed God. All the people answered, well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull, and prepare it first, for you are many. Then call on the name of your God, but put no fire to it. So they took the bull that was given them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, crying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no answer. They limped about the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, surely he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he has wandered away, or he is on a journey. Perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Then they cried aloud, as was their custom. They cut themselves with swords and lances until blood gushed out over them. As midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no answer, and no response. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come closer to me. And all the people came closer to him. First he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to contain two measures of seed. Next he put the wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces, and laid it on the wood. He said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. Again, he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So that the water ran all around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At that time of the offering of the oblation, the prophet Elijah came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and even licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, 
The Lord indeed is God. The Lord indeed is God. Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. Then they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the Wadai Kishon and killed them there. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you know already, we're going through the Ten Commandments through this Lenten season. Uh, and so tonight we're looking at the Second Commandment. And the Second Commandment for us is do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Or sometimes put, do not misuse the Lord's name. Uh, but just in a word of introduction, you may want to be aware that Lutherans number the commandments different than all other Protestants, right? So if you grew up in another Protestant tradition, a Methodist or a Baptist, you learned the second commandment was about graven images. Uh, Lutherans believe that the commandment on graven images goes with the first commandment, that it's a commentary on having no other gods. Uh, and so the numbering then gets pushed off a little differently between us and between other Protestants. So if you're talking with other Christians, other Protestants about the Ten Commandments, know that the numbers are going to be a little different. So for us, uh, the second commandment is, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Um, and I, I don't know, many of you, of course, graduated confirmation and catechism, and you learn this commandment. But I always thought growing up of this commandment primarily in terms of avoiding all the naughty words, right? That primarily this commandment is about not saying the really bad curse words, right? Or it was simply not saying God, not saying Jesus Christ in times of frustration or as curse words. Um, and that's certainly part of the commandment but it's more than that. Uh, and so we look at the second commandment, it's much more expansive than just talking about all the naughty words. And so one way to look at it, the first commandment we talked about on Sunday is really about the heart. Right? The first commandment makes a demand on you about what you fear, about what you trust, about what you have faith in, and about what you love. Because the first commandment says to you, have no other gods. Put your trust, put your faith in nothing else but the Lord. And then so the first commandment makes a demand on our heart. And so the second commandment is going to make a demand on our lips. It's going to make a demand about our mouth and how we use our mouth, the words that we speak. But those things, of course, are always connected. Your mouth is directly connected to your heart. Uh, those of you who have been married for any length of time know that that's true, right? If you're feeling a little grumpy in your heart, you're going to be very careful about how you open your mouth around your spouse because it might reveal that grumpiness, right? And, and that's true in general because our mouth is always the witness to our heart. Right? It speaks what's inside. And Jesus says that as well. Of course, he says it's the things that don't go into your mouth that defile you. It's the things that come out of your mouth that defile you. So our mouth is a witness 
to our heart. And so God is making demands on our lips. But again, it's still connected to that first commandment. That first commandment informs all the other commandments. Right? And so if that first commandment is wrong, we're going to get all of the other commandments wrong. Because if we do not fear, love, and trust God above all else, we're not going to use our mouth in a way that's going to praise God. We're not going to call on God's name as he commands us to do. And we'll see with all the other commandments, it's the same. Right? If our heart's not there, then everything else falls out of line. And so we get to this question of not taking the name of God in vain, not misusing God's name. Right? And so it would be helpful, I think, to talk about what are some things that we do say about God's name. And if you've noticed that really we can't worship if we don't have God's name. Right? Because we're worshiping a known God. We're worshiping a God that we know. Right? And on Sunday morning, how does every one of our services begin? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Right? Because we're not worshiping some unknown God. Right? We're not worshiping Allah. We're not worshiping Buddha. We're not worshiping Vishnu or Hindu God. We're not worshiping Baal. Right? But we're worshiping the God who has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so God gives us his name to use first and foremost in worship. And without it, we can't worship. Or at least we can't worship faithfully. We even use the name, of course, to begin our lives as Christians. Right? How are we baptized? Well, we're baptized in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're marked with that name. And how do we pray? Well, we pray to God. We pray in the name of Christ as we're taught. And so it comes down to this question of where do we find God? Where is God? How do we have access to God? Right, when we call on, we gather in his name, we have a promise that he is there. Because we have his name, we have direct access to him. Right? We don't have to say, hey, you out there somewhere, can you hear me? Right? But we can say, Father in heaven, we can say, our Lord Christ, I'm asking you this. I know you're hearing me. Right? And so when we gather in his name, you know, we don't have to go sit in a rock in a desert and try to search in ourselves to find God. Right? That's kind of a popular spirituality of, well, just search and find God in yourself or search and find God out in nature. You know, you can find God out on the lake or find God out on a hike. Oh, we have God's name already. We don't have to go find him. He's given us his name. Right? And in that first commandment, like we talked about on Sunday, he says, I am your God. You don't have to go searching for me. You don't have to go try to find me. I've given myself to you. Right? And so names themselves are handles. Um, I remember my grandpa 
for quite a bit of time. My grandpa Russell, my mom's dad drove a semi, and he had a handle. Because um, his last name was Russell, his handle was Rusty Bucket. And I was always jealous of that. I always thought that was the coolest thing to have a handle to be Rusty Bucket. Um, but that even that, you see how descriptive that word is, handle for a name, right? A handle is something you hold on to, you grab. If someone knows your name, they can grab you, they can hold on to you, right? And that's what, I mean, I've talked about the dog before already this month, so I shouldn't rely on dog illustrations, right? But when we got the dog a few weeks ago, you got to teach the dog his name, right? He came with the name, but he didn't know it, right? You would say, Jake, and what's that, right? So you say the dog's name, and you give him a treat, and then he learns to associate that name with a treat, with good things. Uh, but now the dog knows his name, so we have a handle on the dog. If we want the dog's attention, we can say it. But God, we didn't find God's name. We didn't invent it. Right? We didn't discover it. But God's name's given to us. He wants us to have a handle on him. He wants us to grasp him. He wants us to get his attention. Right? This is the story, of course, of Moses in the burning bush. Right? Moses asked God in the bush, well, I need a name so I can tell Pharaoh who's sending me. So when I speak to the people, I can say, this is the God who sent me. And God gives him a name. God wants him to have a handle on who he is. Right? And so having God's name is a gift to us. God's giving himself to us. So throughout the catechism, when Luther goes through the Ten Commandments, for every commandment, he does two things. First, he'll focus on the negative aspect of the commandment. So what is it that this commandment prohibits you from doing? Uh, but then for all of the commandments, he also focuses on the positive aspect, which is what does God want us to do with this commandment? Right, and so in the second commandment, on not misusing the Lord's name, not taking the Lord's name in vain, Luther says that God wants us to use his name so that we can call upon him in every trouble, pray, praise, and thank him. Right, this is the heart of the second commandment about God's name. God wants us to understand that he's always available to us. God has given us his name to praise and thank because he is the source of all good things. Having his name allows us to properly enjoy what is given to us. And in prayer and thanksgiving, our worship, it's always the proper response to receiving a gift. And we're more old-fashioned parents, uh, but we're always big on the writing thank you notes to people um, and thanking people when they give gifts Right? Because this is the proper response when people do good things for you. You thank them, you praise them, you speak of them well. Uh, and we try to force our kids to write thank you notes when it's appropriate because we're trying to train them that this is the appropriate response when people do good things for you. That you don't even have to think about it anymore, but spontaneously, someone does something nice, you say, wow, thank you. You're the best, right? That's prayer 
that's praise, that's thanksgiving. When we look to God and we see all that God does for us, and our hearts spontaneously learn, wow, that didn't just come from the universe, right? I didn't make that happen, but the God that I know has done this thing for me. My God is awesome. My God is gracious and compassionate. I love my God. And then we lift that praise up to him. And having his name allows us to do that because he's not just God floating out on a cloud somewhere, but he's God here with us that we can praise and thank. And so calling on God's name also is not a vain thing, which is what the commandment forbids, using it like it is a vain thing. But on the positive side of it, God's name is a powerful thing. Right, we even think back to our worship. Of course, every Sunday we have confession and absolution. And in the absolution, your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Right, that's not a throwaway, just, well, I've got to say something holy there. But we're saying God has made a promise. God is here now. And God is putting his stamp, his signature on this thing. Right? God is signing his name to this absolution. And so you can be assured that it's true. His name is on there. And so we don't use God's name vainly. It's not empty. It's not meaningless. But it has true and real power. In fact, I was listening to a podcast recently with a Lutheran pastor, theologian, and she was wondering about this question of the absolution. Because as a pastor, she says, you know, I stand up every Sunday and I say, as a minister in the Church of Christ, and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. She's like, I'm saying that to people. What if they're not actually repentant? Right? What if they're happy in their sins? What if they don't want God's forgiveness? You know, I'm signing God's name to this. That's a powerful thing. Um, and, and so often in our congregations, we're just flipping about it. Uh, but she, she was struggling with realizing there's real power in evoking God's name. And do we in the church do that a little too haphazardly? Uh, and I think that's a worthy question to ask when we gather and worship do we recognize that we're calling upon the name of God, the one who is our creator and sustainer, the one who controls all things? We're calling on his name. But when we call on it, of course, in prayer, it's also a reminder to us that his name is powerful. Right? And we have a handle on that name. We ask for something in his name. Right? that we're asking for something very true, something very real, something very powerful. Right? Our prayers themselves are not vain or empty, but our prayers are meaningful, and our prayers accomplish something because they're said in the name of our Lord. So on the positive aspect, there's also a negative aspect, which the commandment forbids, which is the wrong use of God's name. Right, and in the Catechism, Luther says, we should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use magic, lie, or deceive using his name. So I touched on that a bit. You know, vain curses said out of frustration. 
right? This commandment forbids that, of course. We shouldn't use God's name like it's just another word. Uh, you know, we stub our toes. We should not just call upon God in that moment. Right? That's using it vainly and empty. It's stripping it of the true power that it has. And so God's name, we have to be careful that we're not stripping it of that power, but also that we're not bringing judgment on ourselves by acting as if God isn't real, right? or if God has no power. Because when we use his name vainly, we're really saying, well, who's God? And so we check ourselves uh, on that aspect. But this commandment also, and this is one that, that Luther really focuses on in the catechism, is that we don't use God's name to hurt others. And this was a big, especially during the Reformation and throughout history, a big question of whether or not Christians can take an oath. And of course, there are still some Christians who will not swear an oath in court or for political office or for other things. Uh, but Luther here makes a distinction and says that what's really being forbidden in Scripture is using God's name to hurt others. Right? However, you can make an oath, you can swear an oath with the intention of helping your neighbor, right? of being honest, of doing the right thing for your community and society. Right? Because ultimately, that's what the commandments are getting at, loving your neighbor as yourself. Right? And so if using God's name in that way is helpful for your neighbor, then you can use God's name in that way. But... If you're swearing in God's name to harm your, your neighbor, in order to deceive your neighbor, then obviously you're bringing a curse onto yourself. You're sinning because you're using God's name in the way it was not intended to be used. Right? So I will say this plainly, but don't swear using God's name with the intention to lie or deceive. Right, that's not how we use God's name. And in the same vein, Luther will point out very strongly that this commandment is also about preaching and teaching falsely. Right, that a preacher standing at the pulpit is standing there in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when a preacher stands up and purposely says something false, purposely tries to manipulate people, uh, then they're misusing the Lord's name. And so if we're purposely teaching falsely, preaching falsely, then we're also violating this commandment. But more broadly, for us in a congregation, this is also about being hypocrites, right? And being publicly hypocritical. Because as Christians, we all bear God's name. Right? You are all baptized in the name of God. You're, all, you're marked with his name. When you present yourself in public hypocritically, you're bearing a false witness to God's name. You're misusing his name. Right? And so we want to be careful that as Christians, as those who have been marked with his name, that we're publicly using his name correctly by doing what he would have us to do. Uh, but Luther also in a catechism 
and this is the most interesting one in a lot of ways. He says that to use magic, uh, or I think the newer translation has to use witchcraft, is a violation of the second commandment. And so a lot of people pass over that. They say, well, we're modern people. We don't believe in magic, right? And none of us is really tempted to practice witchcraft on a regular basis. Uh, and magic, of course, is in the realm of Harry Potter. It's fiction, who does magic, and so on. Uh, but I have to consider that there is something to magic. And the thing is, not maybe in a Harry Potter type sense of the word, but magic thinking is this idea of trying to manipulate creation or trying to manipulate God himself by using his name. All right, so a really common example might be a student has forgotten to study for a test, right? Or maybe they didn't forget, maybe they just blew off the test altogether. And then the test gets handed out by the teacher and then the student begins to pray, God, help me with this test. God, I need an A on this test. My parents are gonna kill me. God, give me an A on this test. Right, that's kind of magic thinking. It's superstitious thinking because it's trying to manipulate reality and manipulate God by calling upon his name, right? Or sometimes athletes do this as well, right? You're standing up to shoot free throws and you're gonna make the sign of the cross and say, okay, God, I need you to help me with these free throws. You're kind of manipulating God in that, that situation uh, and using God's name in almost a magical way. Right, and so we can apply that in bigger things too. Right, that, you know, I cannot take care of my body and I can eat poorly my whole life. And then I think that I'm not going to face the consequences of living such a life if I just call on God to fix it for me. Right, and so we have to be careful that we're not just trying to manipulate reality using God's name, but rather we're going to use God's name in just how he has promised to appear to us, to, to be in our lives. Uh, one of the things, I'll end with this, that Luther really teaches, especially in the large catechism, with this commandment is making the sign of the cross. And so specifically in the catechism, he talks about parenting, which I think is really interesting uh, when it comes to the second commandment, because he says, yes, when your kids lie, when your kids deceive, when your kids take the name of the Lord in vain, you ought to spank them, he says that. Uh, but he says, that's not gonna help them really. Because as soon as you're out of their presence, they're going to lie, they're going to deceive, they're going to use the Lord's name in vain because you're not there with the paddle to spank them when you're gone. So he says it's better that at a young age you teach them the sign of the cross. And he says you teach them to use the Lord's name joyfully, and in that way you'll train their hearts to use the Lord's name correctly. And I think that also works for us and that, yeah, we can focus on the negative aspect of this commandment of making sure we're not saying the naughty words, making sure that we're careful about how we present ourselves. But more importantly is, are we using God's name joyfully in our life? 
right? And so Luther would talk about the sign of the cross because it's a simple kind of prayer in of itself, right? Something good happens and you make the sign of the cross and you say, well, thank you, God, that this has happened, right? Or you've noticed that there's an answered prayer in your life. You're able to quickly just say, thank you, God, for hearing this prayer or whatever it might be, whatever the good thing in your life is. But it's training your heart specifically to use God's name in that moment out of joy. Right? And so that's the big takeaway with the second commandment, is use God's name as he would intend you to use it. Use it to have a handle on him. Use it to thank him. Use it to praise him. Call on him in every need. That's what his name is there for. So I continue on 3.14 with the response. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by the Son. on 3.16. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have 
For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the health of the creation, for abundant harvest that all may share, and for peaceful times, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For public servants, the government, and those who protect us, for those who work to bring peace, justice, healing, and protection in this and every place, let us pray to the Lord. For those who travel, for those who are sick and suffering, and for those who are in captivity, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For deliverance in the time of affliction, wrath, danger, and need, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all servants of the church, for this assembly, and for all people who await from the Lord great and abundant mercy, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Giving thanks for all who have gone before us and are at rest. Rejoicing in the communion of all the saints, we commend ourselves, one another, and our whole life to you. Through Christ our Lord, to you, you O Lord. Lord. And we continue on 318 with the evening prayer from the Catechism. I'll invite you to pray it with me. We give thanks to you, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously protected us today. We ask you to forgive us all our sins where we have done wrong and graciously to protect us tonight. Into your hands we commend ourselves, our bodies, our souls, and all that is ours. Let your holy angels be with us so that the wicked foe may have no power over us. Amen. Bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you and preserve you. Amen.
and peace. Christ is with you.